The Wise Woe of Summerglade Following down a beaten path that Moonstag had pummeled into the earth over years of use, the sun warmed the shining, lavender-hued hair of a tall wise woe. His face was relaxed, exuding a bearing of calm openness, and he gazed around at his surroundings as he walked. His large, bare toes trod the way silently with a gentle step. The air of that late morning was warm with the rays of the sun, and as he followed the worn trail, it grew warmer still. Other folk traveling that same way would have noted this was strange weather for autumn, though the wise will gave no indication of curiosity. He seemed to know where he was going. The heady scents of blossoming flowers and sweet grasses perfumed the air, wafting on a slight wind. Onward, the tall, purple creature tromped, his size and bulk somehow managing to traverse the little path with fluid ease. Strangely, the hills and wooded valleys which flanked him on both sides glowed with a green luster, certainly not befitting fall months. The very character of the land around him seemed to be somehow supernormal, as if he had at some point in his amble passed an invisible threshold. This is, in fact, precisely what had happened. The further he walked, the more his present reality seemed to stray from those known lands of the green country. Cicadas hummed in the high old oaks above, and the sky was a radiant blue, save for a smattering of cloud puffs, bright and white. The terrain surrounding the wise woe brimmed with fecundity and vibrant plant life and every blade of grass seemed as though suffused with vital magic. The lanky creature soon reached a bare hill that rose high into that azure sky. Here he left the deer trail and mounted the knoll. His large feet swished through the cool green grass as he walked, and he took his time, knowing no urgency or haste. In a short while he had reached the crest of the hill, and it was here he bent his long legs and came to sit. He looked out at the forests and rolling hills that seemed to stretch out into infinity. In the distance, the rich blueness of the sky condensed there on the horizon into a dark, saturated rainbow that rippled like a mirage. High above him there passed a flock of white birds, mere specks in the firmament, Leaning back onto that blessed ground, the wise will gazed up and saw that even above those drifting birds, the blue of the sky darkened into a color like twilight. A wind picked up and blew across the hill, shaking the grasses and the purple hair which covered him. He closed his eyes, and in moments he had disappeared. Down, down, through the earth he slowly fell. Dirt and gravel and stones moved like water around him, parting and shifting so that his passage was effortless. His eyes remained closed, and he breathed slowly, though how air found its way to him there in the earth cannot be said. He fell like this for a long time, moving deeper still below the hill. A pink-fingered hand and then a hairy lavender-colored arm emerged from the opening of a small spring. Soon, the wise woe had emerged from an impossibly small gap into a subterranean passage. He hunched low as the cave prohibited him from standing at his full height. 
Underfoot he felt smooth, moss-covered stones, and cool, clear water flowed past his ankles, trickling away in a little stream. Slowly he moved down the tunnel, his wide hands gripping the wall here and there to ease his movement. Gentle light illuminated the deep green moss which clung to the stones. This light shone forth from chunks of rock crystal that protruded here and there from the walls of the cave. Presently the cave began to widen in its breadth, and soon the wise will could stand at his full height. The little stream still trickled beneath his sizable feet, having grown in its volume. The flora of the cavern, too, had multiplied in its variety. Lush ferns sprouted from the moist walls, and other, stranger, unnameable plants hung down from the cave's ceiling to form gentle curtains of tiny pink and purple blossoms. It seemed the plants needed only the water of the little brook and the light of those luminescent crystals to thrive in this place. There, deep in the earth of that far summer land, there too could be heard the sounds of creatures, a gentle warbling akin to music. It was not unlike the soft, cooing song a babe sings before it comes to know of words and speech, the music of life. Abruptly, the cavern opened into a vast chamber. Gazing up, the deep green eyes of the wise woe beheld the dome space, whose ceiling lay several hundred feet above him. The sides of the immense, circular hall were bedecked with a profusion of openings, similar to the one he had just exited. From some of these poured water, from others drifted mist. Spindly trees sprouted from some of the cave entrances, and from several danced a kaleidoscope of blissful, shimmering lights, the colors for which we have no names. The wise woe paused for a time, taking this all in. Then he moved towards the center of the chamber, a place where the waters of those multitudinous streams converged to form a tranquil lake. The ground sloped gently toward the midpoint of the great cavern, and as he walked he felt the dark waters seep into the flossy hair of his legs, first meeting his shins, then his knees, and soon his waist. He fell forward into the water, surrendering to its presence and with slow strokes of his massive purple arms began to swim. Down he went, drifting into the shaded blue depths of that eternal pool. The glimmering lights of the cavern above faded, but in the swirling darks of those waters new lights appeared, flashes of amber spark, laughing glimmers that burned with the myriad hues of a summer sunset. He seemed to be swimming through a dark sky, alight with living stars which swirled around him. Or perhaps it was the sky of a magnificent summer storm, with blue-black clouds who darken the sky and make night of the day's horizon. The storm whose thunder claps down through the earth and makes small even the greatest of man or beast. The storm whose rains fall heavy and wet on the heated earth in a joyful dance. On he swam through the vastness of that space, and soon drew near to a glowing ember which swirled and spun. He outstretched his large hands to the little light, offering it a kind of choice and a welcoming. It quaked nearer, seemingly curious. It spiraled round the wise woe's arms, though he made no move to clutch or coerce it. He waited patiently, his big pink palms open and calm. Soon, 
the light settled and found its way into his hands. It circled round for a short while, like a cat discerning the ideal place to lay down. Then it settled, still and content. It had made its choice. The wise woe outstretched his arms and slowly began to climb up through the waters, through that lake of the sky. Gradually, he could see the lights of the cavern above shining down through the water's surface. Soon he emerged from the pool, rivulets of water running down the ringlets of his purple hair. He opened his palm and gazed at what he held, an apple-sized stone that looked somewhat like an unassuming piece of yellow quartz, though it hummed with an undeniable vitality and was suffused with a gentle glow. He gazed up at the countless beehive of cave openings that ringed the chamber where he stood and fixed on one. Towards this he walked, leaving large, damp footprints in his wake. He entered a tunnel whose floor was of soft prairie grass, and as he clambered down the little passage, a wind from another world blew warm and gentle, drying his damp hair. He followed the length of the tunnel to a place where it seemed to terminate in a dead end. Pushing aside the yellow-green grass that grew in profusion there, he revealed a small alcove. Still holding the stone, he stretched his arm through the aperture, and then drew it back through, his hand now empty. Then he sat in the soft grasses of the cave floor and waited. Alyssa's carriage stopped on a high hill, a rare spot in the green country bare of trees. She loved this leg of their journey, traveling through the stretch of bright prairie. The smooth, rolling hills were unfamiliar to her eyes. They had stopped by a little shrine which stood away from the wagon road over which they drove. Alyssa stepped out and Durkee joined her. Under Alyssa's arm she carried a basket of apples, fresh and shining. Uh, "'Can you remind me what we're doing here, Alyssa?' asked Durkee. Uh, with so many stops along your tour, uh, the significance of this one escapes me. So, so odd and quaint, isn't it? Alyssa smiled. She approached the rough stone shrine that stood in the field. The rustic structure was small and stood starkly against the gentle hills. A stone lay within the shrine on an altar, and she took it, replacing it with the basket of fruit. We leave an offering for the keeper of Summerglade and in return they gift us a summer stone. She held up the humble rock for Durkee to see. It is the symbol of a promise of one hundred more summers to come. She handed the stone to Durkee, who took it in his hand and examined it thoughtfully. What a charming ritual, he said, and secured the stone in his pocket for safekeeping. One of the oldest in the green country, said Alyssa, and they made their way back to the coach and had soon disappeared over the hills. Eventually, night fell on those rolling prairies and nothing stirred around the little shrine. Then, in the darkness, an opening materialized in the air near the altar. Out of it stretched a large, hairy hand. The basket was scooped up and disappeared through the rift, and soon after, that cleft between worlds healed and all was as it had been. The wise woe strolled down the familiar path through those strange hills and valleys of eternal summer. He held aloft an apple, gazing at its redness, its perfection, and then tossed it over his shoulder, far down the hill behind him. 
He took a second apple, and into this one he bit, savoring the sweet juices. Where he had tossed the first apple, there was a gentle rustling, and as he strode away, a verdant grove of apple trees sprouted and grew into fullness in a matter of moments, their green leaves waving gently in the warm afternoon breeze. If you like what you just heard, be sure to visit www.thegreen.country for more great content, including beautiful illustrations, detailed character descriptions, and much more. The Green Country is also on Patreon, where a small monthly pledge will give you access to extra content, like an illustrated PDF of the story you just heard. Whether you back this project financially or simply share it with a friend, you can help this vibrant land continue to grow. Once more, that's www.thegreen.country. Thanks for listening!